If you and I don't know each other, my name is Lake McGinty. Um, I've served here on the leadership team for a while, and honestly, this evening is actually somewhat of an answer to prayer to me, because I entered into this community a little bit over a year ago, looking for community, looking for accountability, and looking for the opportunity to explore the gifts that God had given me. And this is an outworking of that. Um, so a little bit about me before we jump into the text tonight. If you notice a bit of an accent at some times, it comes and goes. Um, I actually was born in St. Louis, but my family are missionaries in Cape Town, South Africa. So I grew up in Southern Africa, moving around a lot, um, and ended up coming back here to the US for college, and now I work here in Kansas City. Something else some of you may know um, is that I love poetry. Um, I write poetry, I read poetry, it's one of my passions, and ultimately tonight might be a little bit different than what you expect from a sermon, uh, partially because I do believe that God has given me a gift in poetry, and so I want to express some of that to you this evening. So rather than have separate illustrations, there will be one continuous illustration this evening that will be split into three separate parts that are a poem that I wrote about a conversation that I or any of you could have with God. So before we get into that, would you bow your heads again with me and let's pray for this evening. Lord, I thank you that you are here and Lord, that we, we need your help. Lord, I need your spirit and your words to say, to preach, and Lord, everyone else here, and even I, Lord, we need your spirit in our hearts to receive your word, to interpret it, Lord, and to apply it to our lives. And Lord, I pray that this evening we could give you the glory even as we look at the challenges we face in temptation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start off with part one of a poem I called Him. Here I sit upon a hill, that lonesome peak of shaded green. Lonely did I seek for him, a character to find, a loving God and faithful friend conceived in pain and brought to mind. I sought for one I made within, to please my wounded soul. A dark and damp and soiled mess, I lay there asking please. Yet he did not come rushing in, nor in a storm arrive, yet he came oft long await, and he came with subtle ease. His voice I heard up in the boughs that rustle from the breeze, and a hymn I found at long last as one I scarce believed. Swinging down from up above, he hit the ground and stood, not the tall and sturdy frame, but a man bent with pains and grief, a man who showed his scars. He asked me why I sought him so, and it surprised me that he didn't know. I said, it is by obedience I've come and in testament to show. But in his eyes, I felt unsure of why I was there. And dread I felt drop on me. Why indeed was I there? I need a friend. I want more love. I need someone to feel. And without risking failure, I want to experience what is real. And so I fight to be what you desire. I fight to be what they desire. I fight to be what I desire. And yet I find, though I toiled and trekked upon these tracks, I sated not these desires. I see, said he and hanging low his head that held a crown. From betwixt his browning, graying locks, between his knotted, tasseled hair, I saw the thorns that bled. I wondered again why I found that he had not removed the crown. 
for a new body and perfect form were his now to command. Yet still he bore, and without shame, the makings of a humble man, the wounds that each sin had left when he bore them on the cross, and what weight did those shoulders bear to drive them down to ground thus so, and curve the back that drug the load down to the grave below. At this I asked why he was grim. Had not he answered my call? Did not he promise to fulfill the covenants of old? Why now, before me, was he anything but bold? So, <laughs> it's a sermon. <laughs> um, this is a reflection that I had a while ago, actually, about what it would be like to enter into the presence of Christ. And shortly after this, I asked him a question. But before we get into my question, I want to open it up to all of you. 20-somethings is a little bit different if you haven't been here before. The reason you are all at tables is that there's some periods of time where we can set a couple minutes aside and discuss things amongst the tables and have some feedback. So the first question for all of you to answer is, if you had the chance to meet Jesus for just a moment, what one question would you ask him? Take a couple seconds and then I'm gonna get some hands in a couple moments. Well, I'm not gonna answer any of those questions tonight. Um, instead, the question that has most often hit my heart and is a, is a good question to pose before delving into the passage today is where are you, God, in the midst of reoccurring sin and a constant battle with addiction? Where is God? In temptation that doesn't ever seem to stop. And so in reflecting on that, God actually has supplied the answer. And so tonight we're going to be talking and going over 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, turn or click to there. And we're going to be reading the whole passage all the way through. We're going to be delving into a little bit of the context of the first 11 verses. And then we're going to be jumping into the meat of the passage. It's also on the screen if you have eyes. So, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, 
flee from idolatry. So before we jump into the hearty meat of verses 12 through 14, we're going to touch on the first 11. In order to do that, we need to jump straight to verse 11. You can go to the next one. Verse 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And so, wondering what the context of this passage is, you need to read the entire book of 1 Corinthians, but we're not going to do that tonight. So what we're going to do is realize that Paul, the famous missionary Paul, is quite possibly the greatest missionary who ever lived, was writing in particular to a church, a church who was struggling with temptation. And there are myriads and myriads of examples in the Old Testament of the Israelites facing temptation, but he chose to list a couple of very, very specific examples. The first one is that the Israelites were distracted by comforts and entertainment. Verse 7 says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a clear reference to Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. And this is the famous story of the golden calf. But we wouldn't really think about it when we think about them rising up to play and to drink. Rather, after having committed a supreme form of idolatry in creating the calf, it actually says that they arose and they indulged in revelry. And that word revelry, revelry means that it was not indulging in a prayerful and a praiseworthy praise of God, because there is goodness in feasting, there is goodness in rejoicing, and there is goodness in parting together. But they chose to revel, and so they were distracted by the comforts and the entertainment of the day. Secondly, they were enticed by sexual sin. Verse 8 says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. This is referring to a passage in Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. It talks about how the Israelites were taking mistresses and taking wives and multiple wives from the nations surrounding them, specifically Moab. And those verses actually dictate where the Israelite leaders are all gathering in a community and they look out and they see an Israelite man leading a Moabite woman who is not his wife into his tent. And God's response is to command the leaders of the Israelites to go out and exact justice. Thirdly, they were seized with impatience. The verse in verse 9 says, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Numbers 21, 4 through 5 talks about how the Israelites had just come out of Egypt and they were impatient for the promised land. They were impatient for food to receive, for drink to receive, and they continually complained. God's response was to provide them serpents that would ignite justice on them. And fourthly, they were intent on grumbling, unless you want to be destroyed by the destroyer. That is honestly a reference to about four or five different passages um, throughout Exodus and Numbers, and I'd encourage you to read all of them, to read about all the temptations that the Israelites faced and how they didn't do a good job of turning away from them, and then maybe apply tonight's passage to them and apply it to yourself. But ultimately, they faced all of these temptations, and these exact temptations are ones that we face today. We are easily distracted by comforts and entertainments. Not that comfort and entertainment in itself is wrong, but because they're distracting us in times when we need to be worshiping, when we need to be serving, when we need to be caring for others. Rather, we want to sit at home and entertain ourselves. 
we're enticed by sexual sin. We live in a culture that elevates sex beyond almost any enjoyment, any pleasure. And it says, go after it, get as much of it as you can. Whereas scripture very clearly defines a context and a way that is to be properly enjoyed and celebrated. We're all seized with impatience, whether that means, oh, I wanna get out of college, I wanna get a job, I wanna quit this job, I wanna, I don't know, get married, I wanna have kids. Every single one of us is impatient with something and we turn that impatience and we look at God and we say, hurry it up. God is looking down and saying, sometimes be patient. And thirdly, we all grumble and I think we all know what that means. But that is the context of this passage. He is looking towards the Corinthians, this church, who is facing the temptation of comfort, facing the temptation of sexual sin, facing the temptation of impatience, and facing the temptation of grumbling. And then verses 12 through 14 follow. But before we get into that, all of these things are examples of temptation, but I wanna ask all of you another question. What does this passage mean by temptation? What does it mean to face temptation? Give me a definition and provide examples outside of those, what I've mentioned, of what it means to be tempted today. Commence. Yeah, bowing to idols, falling to the world. Yeah, all of these are, are great. And we have the broad example. We have ones more narrowing in on exactly what is occurring, how we are bowing to idols. So ultimately, in my mind, I, 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 get, I split it into two categories. And the first one, the definition of what it means to do the tempting. What does it mean when you say that we tempted someone else or the devil tempts us? And ultimately, it is to promote or elevate a sinful desire over that of God's will. And then, therefore, the definition of to be tempted actually means to be put to the test. To be put to the test and made to choose between oneself and my desires, my will, and those of God. So in order to be tempted, there has to be a contrast between what God wills and what God desires and what you will and what you desire. If there's not that contrast, then you're aligned with God's will and there can be no temptation there. The one point on this I want to make abundantly clear and that scripture makes abundantly clear is that yes, we tempt each other, we tempt ourselves, our desires tempt us, and there is a spiritual force that tempts us as the devil and there are spiritual forces out there tempting us. But the one point is God himself does not tempt us. James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God himself is not tempted because he himself is perfect and supreme. And Caleb did an amazing job a couple weeks ago explaining to us what it means to be supremely satisfied by God in his supremacy. Yet God himself does not tempt us because in doing so it would go against his own will. You don't go against your own will, God himself cannot. And so we know what temptation is and we know, we all know what it feels like to be tempted and we know what it is like to look and to see what God wants and what we want and to struggle between the two of them. That gets us to part two of a poem called Him. Jesus' response is, "'Tis not yet my time, my child. 
with tears in his eyes. Today I came in answer to a man in faithlessness did call. Today I came for one alone. At this I admit I grew now grim, but not as my father had. His blame that I was faithless had struck me deep within. But not I grieve now was it guilt that forlowed my brow, but irritants at his word that spoke as though I had Austin fault. Here I should have stopped and quit, for the book says stay the tongue. But forgetting all that I had built up in wit, I opened up, to, up with words in knowing that they stung. Looking to Jesus, I said, you know my heart and know my pain. You gave me these dreams to gain. You tested me for years now in vain. And faithful I have been, and yet I followed, reading, praying, and obeying all the same. And never have I found a touch that echoed my refrain. My God, you say in faithlessness I asked you to come, yet you knew my need and laughed at me. Do you stand there condemning my dream, that which drug me to my knees? So oft I failed, and this you've heard each time I have grieved and asked you to send your grace and power to receive. Why do you promise to give strength yet withhold it when I need it? Why do you leave me forgetting you when you said to me you'd cling? I hurt each day and I wail each night in dreams too strong to bear, yet I see no outlet given and no temperance is given. My heart is apt to tear. So please now I say, you say in faithlessness, I've come to your door. Answer me what pleases you to see your child a whore. And at this I broke and withered to the trodden ground below and did not rise ere long await. All of us have been there. All of us have felt our heart crying out, reaching out and pleading for God and not finding him where we want to find him, not finding him doing what we want him to do. And then God and 1 Corinthians supplies us with this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Who actually believes this? We know it. It says so right here. Do we believe it? I often struggle to believe it. And so tonight, delving into these couple of verses, we're going to delve deep. We're going to delve into three different things that God speaks to here. He speaks to what we can do and what he is doing in us before we take temptation, we receive temptation. What we do and what he is doing in us when we are in the midst of temptation. And not forgetting that even after we have fallen to temptation, there is a third part. He is there and he is waiting after we have succumbed, welcoming us back. So, before we succumb to temptation, before the temptation even itself appears, what can we do? And that is not a rhetorical question. Next question for all of you to discuss is, what are ways we can prepare or arm ourselves against temptation? And what does it mean to flee from idolatry? Because the passage says, take heed before you fall. And the passage says, flee from idolatry. Those are things you do before it hits you. Discuss amongst your tables what this means. Absolutely. Know your enemy. 
and communicate where you're at with those around you. Absolutely. You'll see all three of those points repeated in a couple moments. Um, but <laughs> um, verses 12 and verses 14 really speak into the before element, the, the plan element. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, saying that there is action and there is knowledge that comes before falling. You need to take that. You need to, you need to assume the knowledge and pursue the knowledge of what you can do prior to having experienced what tempts you to fall. And the second verse is you need to flee from idolatry. And so the first point I want to make out of these passages is know the word. These will all be easy to remember because they all start with the word know, not the negative type 